We are in Malachi uh, chapter 1. And as we talked last week about the six disputes that are in the book, we're going to be looking at the first of the six disputes. Uh, And on that front page, I've got the six disputes. And what is going to happen is uh, Malachi is going to be speaking for God, and there's six basic issues, and they all follow the same pattern where God is going to make an accusation. Israel is going to defend themselves, not really even understanding what's going on, and then God is going to provide evidence that he's right and they're wrong. It's a book of a rebuke, but it's also a book of exhortation. This very first one is, is the fact that they've got, they've got a covenant with God. And this is good news. God, God, is work, God is work. He's in their midst. He's working with them. They're at the right place, the right time. But the problem is they don't believe this. Uh, they they uh, don't understand it. Uh, if they do understand it, they say it's not working out like we thought. If we've really got a covenant, we should be having good things should be happening to us and not all these difficulties. And so they've got all, and again, the, 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 what you see in this, at least I can, is you, you understand the historical situation, but you can apply it to your own life, is how has God provided for me? How has God done anything? And, you know, far be it, I don't want a prophet knocking on my front door and addressing that question. But sometimes you just got to look back and put it in perspective, and that's what Malachi is doing. And, he's, uh, and God's answers here are going to be, overwhelming that you are the favored people and and the evidence will be there so those six disputes in review on the front page the first one is god says i have a covenant with you they say it doesn't seem like we've got a covenant prove it and god does and provides that's what we'll talk about tonight the second one is going to be israel does not fear god and they despise his temple in jerusalem and you know how have we despised you and then he's going to bring evidence for that the third dispute Israel is not faithful to the covenants. And again, we're talking about two covenants. We're talking about the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant is going to be an unconditional covenant but some, that, that God is always going to be true to. Uh, but somehow we've got to bring into this the Mosaic covenant. And that's really the covenant that they violated and got sent into captivity for and are brought back because of this covenant. This covenant is, is a chance for them to show their devotion, their appreciation, their commitment. Like God is showing them faithfulness, always faithfulness in this covenant, and faithful in this covenant also, but when they disobey, he's going to discipline them. In this covenant, they're always going to be brought back. This is the covenant that separates them from the rest of the nations. And as we go through this, one of the, the questions that you may want to get, keep you know, on the surface of your, your head, your mind, your thoughts, your questions is how does this play out today? You know, like you look at Israel in, in the land of Israel today and the Gaza situation, and there's people that are anti-Israel. And it's like, well, and some would say, you know, with the coming of the new covenant, this was all set aside. And so we don't, we learn from the Old Testament, but we've moved on into this new covenant. And God is never going to return to this. And again, when you start talking, we talked talk last night about heresies, uh, and interpretations you get may have different ways of interpreting something but then some things become clearly heresy this would be one of those issues there's a right answer for it and you don't want to have the wrong answer 
But if someone would say, well, the new covenant has replaced all of this, and you can tie that together in, in the books like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where now we've moved on to something new, and that's where they say the church is the new Israel. And so this stuff's all left, been left behind. But yet, my approach to this is the Mosaic Covenant, uh, the rules and regulations, the, the conditional, unconditional covenant, that's been set aside. It revealed God and it revealed His will. But this Abrahamic covenant, it doesn't seem to be something that you can just set aside. This can be fulfilled, but this Abrahamic covenant seems like it's going to have to continue and that's actually what determines, when you start talking about eschatology, if you think all these covenants have been set aside, your eschatology is going to look different when you start talking about the church and Jesus returning and what's going to take place. If you think this Abrahamic covenant is still going to be in, intact, that this is a, a, going with the nation of Israel forever, then you've got to see this fulfilled, that Israel's still in play when Jesus comes back. The church is going to be doing their thing. But then when he sets up the eternal kingdom, how does this play out? Is there going to be, you know, again, the, an Abrahamic covenant fulfillment? And when you read the Old Testament, as we've done, we've gone through the prophets, and it sure seems like the prophets are talking about some distant fulfillment. Even as we look at some verses tonight, Israel's going to have been brought back into the land. And so in a sense, it's a fulfillment of God restoring Israel but yet there's, there's a lot of gaps, a lot of holes in those, I will bring you back, I'll disperse you, but I will bring you back. Uh, a lot of those things haven't, in a sense, happened yet. Uh, and then you say, well, it was fulfilled in Christ. Well, then you're going to take, a, I don't want to say a detour, but you are going to turn and start fulfilling these things in Christ and just forget about the literal fulfillment. But if you have this become the, the new covenant be one issue, and then you still got the promises of Israel being brought back, uh, the glory. We haven't seen the glory of the Ezekiel temple. We haven't seen the return from all the dispersion. Um, unless you say, well, that the glory is now in Christ, and it's now in the church. And, and again, I'm not giving you any of those answers now. I'm just saying as we read through this, uh, obviously in Malachi's day, these things were all still in play. Now, because we're on the other side of the new covenant, the coming of Christ, these things may be looked at differently as well. That's all been fulfilled, and we're going a different direction. Uh, but yet, as we look at these today, there's still, either way you look at it, there are still things that are applicable for, I know, my faith in looking at situations, and we'll address that tonight. Going down here with these six disputes, the fourth one, God has grown weary as Israel accuses him of being unjust. And that's where, you know, they're saying we, we see the wicked prospering and those that are faithful don't get anything. And God, there he's going to talk about, yeah, you have, you have to wait and see my plan fulfilled. My, my plan is not done. In, in 430 A.D. or whenever this is taking place, this is not the final. This is not, Israel hasn't come back out of Babylonian captivity, built this Zerubbabel's temple, and now this is the, all the fulfillment of biblical prophecy we know that's not true, and yet that they're thinking they should, it should be. They're thinking this should be the glory days, and it doesn't look like the glory days. And God is clearly saying in this book, the glory days are yet 
future. Now again, is that when Jesus re, uh, comes the first time and, and enters the temple and there's your glory? Or is that Jesus fulfilling part of the prophecy and yet there's a glory yet to come? Nonetheless, they're discouraged in 430 because uh, it's not at all what they thought it was going to be like. In fact, I would use the word atheistic. And again, we'll have to look at it as we go through here. Some of these people ha are atheistic. It's like, uh, they, they don't believe in God, and if there is a God, he's given up on the covenant, and he's not going to fulfill it. They're probably also thinking, because God is going to say tonight, in different places, will say, your own eyes. And even as his prophecy begins, the opening statements, is he's not pointing back to, well, you've got to learn your Bible stories. See, I'm teaching Bible, but I'm not going to do any miracle prophecy any new thing today i'm just going to give you bible teaching malachi is coming as this book begins it begins by declaring this is the word this is an uh, uh, an oracle or another way of translating it, a burden of the word of the lord meaning it's almost double revelation it's not like this you think you read the bible like well this is another prophet's prophesying no, we've had Haggai and Zechariah, and before that you had Daniel and he Ezekiel, before that you had Jeremiah, but now all of a sudden, somewhere around 4.30, they've got Malachi coming on the scene. This is not normal. He's bringing new revelation to address their issue, and he's going to be able to say, God speaking, your own eyes will see this. I will give you evidence today that you are still my chosen people. And he's, not, he's going to refer to... Bible verses, uh, but I don't want to say he needs to, but they probably, as we look at this, they, they, if they've understood or heard, like Ezra's appeared and taught them the law, they have heard it processed and it says, doesn't look like it's working, doesn't look like it sticks. Are these things even true? These stories about Abraham, you could hear it, you could hear it in your own culture. Did Abraham even exist? Is there even a, an Abrahamic covenant? Was Moses? I mean, all these things. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, those who prosper are the ones who get it themselves. If they're unjust, they prosper, and there's no one bringing the consequences. So the, the wicked are, are the blessed. Us who are trying to follow this make-believe, imaginary God that doesn't show up on a covenant that if it did exist, it doesn't exist anymore, it may all be legends. I mean, they've, they've lost all these things. So they are in that condition. Thus, it's time for a guy like Malachi to show up. The fifth one was God has not uh, changed. The Abrahamic covenant and Mosaic covenant are intact. And the last one, Israel says it is useless to serve the Lord. And uh, they say, how, how have we, when have we indicated that? And God gives them six different ways that they've said it that it's vain to serve God? What profit is there in keeping this charge? What profit is there in walking before the Lord or even repenting? The arrogant are the blessed one. Evildoers prosper. Evildoers test God, and they escape. So don't give me all this religious stuff about following a law. And, and that's where we come now. Page 2 of the notes, chapter 1, Malachi. I'll read out of the NIV, chapter 1, verses... The, again, these are... Uh, It'll take us a while, but there are only five verses. We've got Malachi, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 are what we're looking at tonight. 
And in this first verse, this, uh, the, the opening, the superscript here, it, it sounds very boring, but I'm going to spend some time on it. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And that's basically announcing this is revelation fresh off the press. If you want any evidence, listen to this. Point, verse 2. I have loved you, and that's the point of the book. Israel, come on, you're my people. I have loved you. I'm in the process of building you back up. I need you to participate. I need you to be serious. I need you to listen and, and, and do the things I've asked you to do so we can move this forward. I have loved you, says the Lord. But it does no good. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but it does no good. Why? Be, because you ask, how have you loved us? Uh, I want you to get involved with this covenant. Give me some covenant love back. I'm going to be faithful to you. You be faithful to me. And then you stop and say, whoa, whoa. What have you done? How, how have you been showing faithfulness to us? Look at what's happened to us. Look at who we are. We're an oppressed people. Well, God, now comes the answer. This is where he rebukes them, overwhelms them with evidence. And again, uh, we've got to spend some time tonight looking at this because what we just read through is like a verse. You do your daily devotions, read through it. Okay, I read through it, didn't understand it. This is overwhelming evidence of shut up, sit down, and start paying attention because your own eyes can see what I'm doing. Now, now did you read the story about David? Did you read the story that the prophets told you? It's like, look, he says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, or Yahweh says, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Now that's ex that, that sounds like a typical, and it is, typical phraseology of an Old Testament prophet talking about what Edom's going to look like when God gets done. It's going to be a, a wasteland, a haunt of jackals. Well, he says the same thing about Babylon. When Babylon falls, there'll be nothing left. There'll be desert. The owls will live there. The jackals will live there. Well, he says the same thing about Jerusalem. And foxes and jackals will run on the Temple Mount. It's going to be a land of waste. So what he's saying that is going to happen to Esau is no different than any nation that he has announced a curse on. Like, I'm done with you. You're going to be overrun and left barren. The difference is that's how God takes down a nation. Now, again, you want application? America, you can become a land of waste and there'll be jackals running and never be rebuilt again. I mean, it's like, I'm not, that's not my prophecy, but it's, that's in the pattern of what we're talking about. What makes them different, as we're going to talk about, as you know, is, and the punchline to this whole thing, is while they're saying this, Edom is collapsing and has collapsed and is con continuing to collapse in fact, they're living in, in southern Judah. They're living in the Negev trying to make a living because they've lost their land to the Nabataeans who are using it for trade routes. They can't even get back into their land. So it's not even the Babylonians that overran them. The Babylonians did their damage, but the Nabataeans came in and ran Esau out, and Esau had to run up, or Edom had to come up into abandoned territory of Judah, and they're being absorbed into Judah as we read this. Um, but Judah not only has come back to their land, they've still got a priesthood with a genealogy functioning in a rebuilt temple in the holy city, the capital of the destroyed land of Judea, and there's people living in their towns and villages in their native ancestral villages or towns where their fathers lived 100, 200 years, maybe three, four, five hundred years ago. It's like 
Israel, they've got trade opening back up. And we'll, we're going to say all this again. But the issue is, uh, I, I, I told you I'm turning that into a wasteland. And when they try to pull off what they're watching you, just like we're watching Canada, Canada's watching us, we're watching what's happening down in South America and all these kinds. Well, look what, they, look what they're doing. Oh, look what they, they And it's like, ha, ah, they can rebuild. That's what America needs to do. America needs to, and Esau, Edom, has to be looking at Israel, who comes back out of nowhere. Their land, people didn't just not live in Judah while they were gone. The Samaritans came in, the Ammonites, you know all this, the Ammonites, the, the Philistines moved in. Esau himself, the Edomites, they had moved up into the land. And now all of a sudden, guess who's back? Showing up is Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel. They end up showing up. It's like, well, let's get started. They start building some shelters and starting to take over. And, pretty, and they've got Persian paperwork. It's not like, what are you doing? You're, you're illegal. No, 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 we're sent back by Cyrus. Cyrus says we're supposed to go back to our homeland. Here's our paperwork. We, we've got our driver's license. Here's our social security numbers. In fact, uh, here's like the plot map of, I, yeah, this is my property right here. It goes right up to this. This is my, my property right here. I mean, that's the kind of paperwork that they've got when they come back. And Esau's watching that going, hey, let's do the same thing. Let's make Edom great again. They've got little red hats with M-E whatever. And, and it's like, and God, God says this to them. And, and Israel saying, yeah, we're no different than anybody else. God said, oh, wait, wait, wait. He says, verse 4, Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. Edom says, we've been crushed just like Jacob's been crushed. But just like Jacob's rebuilding, we'll make Edom great again. Uh, but this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish it. They, may, they will be called the wicked land a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, you, he's telling, this is my, Malachi telling the people of Israel, you will see this with your own eyes. You'll see them trying to rebuild and it's just going to end up getting worse for them. They are never coming back. While, while he, Jacob is going to continue to increase and increase, get more large, more trade, bigger cities, more power, eventually the Maccabean revolt. They're going to eventually subdue what's left of Edom. They're going to have to just join with Israel or be married off into the Nabataeans. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. So there's your verses. There's what we're looking at. And now on page two of your notes, we've got there, you've got in the English Standard Version, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And if you read through the Hebrew, you can see the very first thing there, the burden, the word is masa, or that just means oracle. An oracle in the Old Testament, there's a, several places it pops up. It is usually a, me, a serious message of, of doom, of judgment, and it's often translated in some tr translations, the burden, like the burden of, and then it names the problem, because it's like, oh, the, you, this is not a, a sermon I want to preach. <laughs> Uh, listen, you're all it's all going to come down. It's all going to be judged. So it's an oracle, which makes it uh, inspired. It makes it a prophecy. It's something a prophet is going to say. It's prophecy. But it's doubled up here because this is a mass. And I think I've got it written down. That I'm trying to find my notes here. Oh, my goodness. Where are we at here? I'm going to get so far in front of myself. Uh, yes. Four 
4a, the form of prophecy of speech, oracle from the Hebrew word masa, technical term for a type of prophetic speech that is centered on delivering a threat or an utterance of doom. There's the examples, Isaiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah. It's uttering doom. And so he's got uh, a message of doom, an exhortation. Um, and then that's fine. So that, that means, pro- that by itself, oracle, means prophecy. But it's followed up, and I've got it squared off there in the Hebrew box, the transliteration, with the following up. After Masa, it says, Debar Yahweh. And Debar is the word, word, and the word of Malachi, the word of the king, the word of Arshurbanipal, the word of, in this case, the word of Yahweh, which what we would say, the word of God. This is an oracle, the word of God. Now tonight, we are teaching, I am teaching you the word of God written in text in the scriptures. This This is totally unique because... Malachi is coming with an oracle, a burden, a technical message of doom and gloom. You need to repent. And it is the Word of God. And this is screaming. It's a word from God. Now, again, like I said, I can read you. We consider the Scriptures the Word of God. But this has not been written down until Malachi writes it down or says it. So what this would be, this would be fresh revelation. This is revelation from the mind, the word, the thoughts of God that's coming as a prophecy. So this, the very first three words in the Hebrew, Masa Debar Yahweh, right there, the oracle, the word of the Lord. And now it's going to tell you, who's it written to? It's written to Israel. That's who's receiving this burden. I'm talking to you, Israel. Uh, and it's by Malachi. And that's the prophet that's recording. Of course, Malachi, we studied, we saw it earlier. It means messenger. The word Malachi means messenger. His name just means messenger, which is, again, a theme throughout the Bible because eventually God's going to talk about my messengers coming. Um, so right there, that's the point you see as we go down this, uh, point four. Four uh, B, a divine revelation of the Lord, the phrase. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else I need to say about that. Uh, point C, this is important because the people who are receiving this is the nation of Israel. And this is a, it, it, all these, listen, you, you just step back and read this. Uh, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Oh, that's the starting of the book. Again, this is a big deal. This is proclaiming that this is new revelation from the very word of God. He's not reading this from, from kind of manuscript. And it's to Israel. Now, Israel is unique because when they went into captivity, uh, 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 we talk about Judea being destroyed, and that was what had been reduced to basically the territory uh, of Judah and Benjamin because the northern tribes had been dispersed. But as you know, in 701, when Assyria was destroying uh, and overrunning 701, you know, 720, 721, uh, the, the Israelites came down and joined Israel. They came down and joined. So in Jerusalem, in Judea, all the tribes were living there. And when they went off into captivity, all 12 tribes left. Now before 720, 722, the 10 tribes, northern 10 tribes were dispersed, scattered. Possibly never to be found again, those that were dispersed. That's again that mystery, what's going to happen. Some of them went north and east and west. Some of them ran south into Judah. 
and that's where they then stayed. And when Nebuchadnezzar came in 586, they all, representing the tribes, went into captivity. Now they are coming back, as you know this, they're coming back from Babylon to the land of Judah. It's a, a province of Persia named Judah. It's, the part of the, it's not all the territory of Judah, because it goes further south, it goes further west. Uh, but it also includes part of the land of Benjamin. So it's the land of Judah and Benjamin, the tribal territories. It's called Judah because that's the, you know, the, the traditional ancestral name of it, Judea. But who is living there? Who's living in that province is Israel. And this is indeed Israel. All 12 tribes are living in the province of Judah at this time. So when he says Israel, he is talking about you're still in place. There's your first sign, the covenant is real, is all 12 tribes, after all these years, after all this destruction, burning, and, and deportation, guess what? There's still 12 tribes here in this land. And so to mention Judah, and uh, I'm looking at the top of page 3, Israel is the name used to identify the whole complete nation, the 12 tribes that have returned from Babylon, their nation now called Judah. And their land has been limited to a small section that have belonged to the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. The people are called Israel here. And in verse 5, chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 16, and chapter 4, verse 4. And the use of the name Israel to refer to the people of the Persian province of Judah is the beginning of Yahweh providing evidence. His first sign of evidence. Well, I should say this. First sign of evidence is one. I'm giving you fresh revelation. I am speaking to you from the, the mouth of God is speaking to a prophet. This is not normal. You, in other words, even Paul talks about what's special about Israel is they receive the oracles of God. You don't go to China and have a book from, from Yahweh written in Chinese. You don't go down in the, you know, we didn't get to South America, and down in South America they've got, you know, volumes, uh, those prophets of Yahweh spoke. The Bible teaches, now you can do what you want to with that information, but the Bible teaches Yahweh provided his oracles, his prophecies through Israel. That's why in the Old Testament it's the writings of Israel. Because God, in the Abrahamic covenant, he went and got his people out of captivity, and his prophets all spoke. They were all prophets of, from Israel, people of Israel. So this revelation now comes from Israel, and the first thing you've got, the book starts off, here's more, you now have a prophet in Israel. Do you have a prophet in Edom? Nope. Does Samaria have a prophet? Nope. Now again, everybody's got their prophets, and again, we can't dismiss general revelation and God speaking you know, to all nations. There's another. But as far as recording his special revelation, it comes from one place, from Israel, and the book starts off, and it's happening right now. And in that first verse, the second sign that something's happening is he calls them Israel, which is a technical term for the covenant people, the 12 full tribes that have come back. So we're not even, we're into, you know, the first six words of the book, and he's already saying, special, here's revelation right in your front doorstep. Special, I'm still calling you Israel, an ancient name that goes back to the book of Genesis, and you're still intact. You're still in the promised land. In fact, when you look, oh, look, you already have a temple built. What do you mean you're not special? I mean, this is, God is, you know, again, you can miss that if you just read through it. And I've got to stop saying those same things over and over again. Nonetheless, point five on page two. 
The prophets foretold the dispersion of Israel when they proved unfaithful to the Mosaic Covenant, but they also promised that God would remain faithful to the Abrahamic Covenant. When you look back, this is talking about the buzzword Israel, because these are the people, and I've got it written down, I'm not going to read through all of them, these are the people that have in their records that they brought back in their documentation. And it's, for me, it's, it's such a stupid, stupid thing to think someone made all this up in captivity and brought it back. It's like there's too many details. It, it's too consistent. It, it can't just be made up. It's divine. And again, if you don't agree with that, that's, that's your problem. But Israel, in the Old Testament, before they went into captivity... They were told, when you disobey, in fact, you will disobey at some point, you will be taken captive. There will be a captivity, and God will judge you. That was part of the promise. And here we have it, page 3. The Mosaic Covenant Dispensation Promises, for example, Deuteronomy 28. It says, If you are not careful to do all the words of this law, speaking of the Mosaic Law, that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary affliction. Now here's a promise. You disobey me, it's going to be extremely difficult for you and your offspring. And that's what they're complaining about. It's been awful difficult for us and our offspring. Well, did you read the promise? It's like it's exactly, it's happening exactly like it's supposed to. Um, and you shall be pl- underlined there, and you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of, and the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. Leviticus 26. I will scatter you among the nations. Deuteronomy 4. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. Psalm 106. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations. 1 Kings 14, 15. The Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim provoking the Lord to anger. Jeremiah, I will scatter them among the nations. Jeremiah 13, I will scatter you like chaff. Jeremiah 18, like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. It goes on and on and on. I've got more Ezekiel, Ezekiel. Even Zechariah, they come back from captivity and a prophet, now on their return, a prophet, Zechariah, rises. And he says in chapter 7, verse 14 of his own book, back in the restored land, he got, quoting God, says, I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Meaning just, you know, just like you talk about it's going to happen to Edom and Babylon, it's happened to them. But right beside those were the promise of the return. And this is the Abrahamic covenant. Now if that is Edom, they're dispersed, and you're going to intermarry, you may struggle a little bit, but you'll eventually get married, and it's like you're nothing but a note in history. That's the way it is with all the Gentile nations. Once they've gone too far, once they've, been, they've violated God's command and warnings, he disperses them. Now, when we talk about commands, we're talking about general revelation. Uh, you need an example of someone violating general revelation. 
look at America going woke. Look at America in the 1880s, the 1920s, just pushing this further and further. How far can we push reality and violate general revelation? Forget reading the Bible. People are going, well, we need, a, we need someone that reads the Bible and is a great Christian leader. We need someone that's in tune with reality. I mean, if they just understand general revelation, like, like you know, honor, like keeping a promise, like making a family, keeping a, a marriage. It's like being just in the court system. That's why we're looking for a Christian. You can be looking for a Christian, but it's like, good night. People can be just. People can have families and, and follow gen- that God made the earth to function in general revelation. Nonetheless, those nations, when they're dispersed, they never come back because Israel has a covenant when they violate general revelation and special revelation, they violate the covenant, they're dispersed and sent into captivity. But because God made a covenant with Abraham, here we go, chapter page 4 of your notes, Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 3. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. This does not apply to Edom. This does not apply to the United States of America. It does not apply to Babylon. Once you're gone, you're flushed down the drain of history, and you're, you're a note in history. Israel, I've got a covenant. I have loved you like I haven't loved Esau. Uh, I'll restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now, stop right here for just a moment, and now you make a, just a little pop your head up and look at history today, what is going on. And you've got one of two choices, generally one of two choices. What you see in Israel is God keeping his promise alive. It's not in its full extent, but Israel is still functioning. We're not worried about Edomites. We're not worried about Babylonians. We're not even worried about Romans. It's like they're all gone. But Israel is still here. Now, some would say, ah, they're fake Israel. They're, they're not really Israel. They just want to be. They're in, in, imposters. Okay, Th- that could be true. I-, I have not done a genetic test. I do not know. I, I mean, I'm-, I'm blinded by history, limited by history, just like all people. So that could be true. But here in the text of Scripture, at some point, now you come to the church age, God has fulfilled this as much as he's going to do literally, and now the fulfillment of this is going to take place in the church, in the body of Christ. Spiritually, we're the new Israel and no longer need the land of Israel. Now you can take it that part and go that way and say, this is fulfilled. Or you can look at this and make it, it's like, he's making a big deal all the way through the Old Testament. He makes a big deal, especially here at the beginning of Malachi. Esau, I've hated, but Jacob, listen, you, you gotta count on me. I will never let you go until the Messiah comes. You can read it that way, make it work. But it's like, I'm, this, I'm reading it like God has chosen Israel. I will never let them go. It doesn't mean we're in the end times because Israel's back in the land. It just means this promise that he's keeping here in 430, he's keeping until the end of time. And we're just watching before your own eyes. You can see it's taking place. I, I mean, just right there. Figure it out right there with that information. And I'm not saying I'm right. 
Jeremiah 30, verses 1 through 3. Jeremiah 30, verses 1 through 3, introduces an entire, what is called, book by Jeremiah. Chapter 30 through 38. It's all about uh, the restoration of Israel. I mean, that, that's what it's titled in the Bible. And that it's not in, when you get like your translations, the NIV, English Standard Version, this is now they're titled Restoration of Israel. And then you've got eight chapters, nine chapters of God promising he's going to restore Israel. That's, that's, that's longer than the book of Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John all put together. Just in the end of Jeremiah, that's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy this city, bury these people in the wilderness, and drive them into captivity. But guess what? I'm, I'm going to bring them back. And here it is, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 1 through 3, introducing an entire section. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess. Now, this is being written before. It's like, I don't know if Jeremiah's right. He keeps talking about Jerusalem being destroyed and burnt, the temple being torn down. It never happens. I don't think we need to pay attention to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is so far in front of the game, he's already prophesied the destruction. It's like, okay, that's in the books. Now let's start talking about the restoration. He's already prophesying about you know, the time of Cyrus sending the people back to the land. That, that's what, that's what he's, he's so far in front of the game. And he's like, their land, the answer. Edom doesn't have any writings like this. Edom doesn't have a prophecy like this or a prophet or a book. No one's got a book like this. Uh... Uh, man, I can, there's Jeremiah 30, some more verses, chapter, Ezekiel chapter 11. Therefore, says, uh, says the Lord God, though I remove them far off among the nations and though I scatter them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where I, they have gone. Therefore, says the Lord God, I will gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel." That even has more of a sound of returning them from a dispersion than from the Babylonian captivity. They all got in rows, marched to captivity, and stayed there in their own little cities, communities, and then marched back together. This is talking about being dispersed all around, which means that has never, if you want to read it that way, the dispersion all around has never fully taken place. Even Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8. This is Nehemiah when he hears that the walls are still torn down and the gates are not burnt. We, we read through the book. Remember the word, he says, that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my command and do, do them, though your, your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Again, notice the name dwelling there. God needs Israel to honor him, so he himself has a presence on the earth which is his representation, so that people can know who he is. If, if Israel goes dark, theoretically, then God goes dark and we have no information. For example, if the church stops proclaiming the gospel and becomes woke or just culturalized, just wants to get along with everybody, the culture goes dark, the world goes dark because the church is the representatives today. We are the institution proclaiming the word of God. Well, what about Israel? Well, Israel, except they've rejected the Messiah. They're not proclaiming the gospel. They're still proclaiming the law in the Old Testament. 
if they would proclaim the, the Messiah, except Christ, then they'd be part of the church. Okay, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 2. After the introduction, here it begins, his argument. He makes a statement, I have loved you. Talking to who? Israel. I have loved Israel. Translating that and explaining that, I have a covenant with Israel. Guys, you're special. There's no one, I, there's no one else I can work with. I don't have team B. I don't have nation B or C. If this doesn't work out here, well, I'll go try the Romans. It's like it's Israel or nothing. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? It's like, loved us? My gosh, we're the most miserable of all people. It's like, in fact, we wish you would help us a little bit. Show us a little bit of that love. Uh, the word love is, you can see it, I've got it squared three times in it because it's said three times. If you see it, it's spelled slightly different, but it's A-H-A-B, and then it's got, you know, where it says, I have loved you. That would be the, the T-I sound. Uh, the second one is the same thing with a different ending on the word because it's, have you loved us? And then the last one, and yet I have loved. And there you've got an O-H-A-B. That's just like putting, you know, endings like, you know, endings and prefixes on our English words. There's a little change. But it all means love. It is the word, you know, spelled just basic A-H-A-B, Ahab, uh, Rahab, uh, and it has covenant implications. Now, it can mean like Rebecca loved Isaac. It can mean David loved Bathsheba. Uh, but in this case, it, it has not just the emotional side. It, it, it's a covenant relationship that he's emotionally connected, but he's going to be faithful, not because of the way he feels, but because you know how he feels. He's going to burn this place to the ground. How does he feel about Edom? I'm going to tear it down. How about Israel? Well, I burned it down, but you know what? I've got a covenant with them. They're coming back. Uh, this first dispute addresses the fact that Jacob or Israel is the heir of the Abrahamic covenant. Point two, the message rebukes Israel's misunderstanding and ignorance by assuring them the story they may or may not have heard concerning Abraham and the covenant is true. So they may have heard this. They may not. You've got to think that they have heard about this, especially with Ezra having arrived and having made a big deal, especially if Nehemiah had all these meetings and the synagogue is starting to function. So they may be ignorant of it. They may have heard it, but it's like a lot of people. It's like, is it true? It's like, is, God, is, there, is there really a God? Well, you know, if there really was a God, why is there evil? Yeah, I agree. There's no God. It's like, what a great argument. And that's right here. Is this Abrahamic covenant true? I don't know. Do you feel like you're blessed? No. Well, yeah, I guess it's not true. And that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's like you know, an argument with an atheist today. It's like, well, that's a great point. There is evil in the world. Ah, there's no God. Not to say, well, okay, how do you know it's evil? Because what, who established right and wrong? Maybe it's good, especially in the my truth, your truth. I think it's great. I mean, cities burning, people rioting, people starving. I think it's good. Why? More food for me. It's like, well, that's not right. Not right? <laughs> Why is it not right? Because you're being selfish. Selfish? If I remember right, it's survival for the fittest. <laughs> it's like, it's common sense. It's like, well, that, that, that's, that's a bad attitude. That's not what you should. It's like, where are you getting this logic from? Because there's a higher power. There's something else going on besides just evil in the world. Nonetheless, they're at that point right now that they're saying God hasn't loved us. There's no proof of it. Okay, uh, 
next thing, despite the captivity and the harsh times of restoration, these people are the heirs of that covenant, point four. The issue Israel is having in Malachi, Malachi's day is they do not believe or understand the Abrahamic covenant. B, they do not reciprocate their side of the Mosaic covenant. What's going to come down to, after they get to the place of, okay, we are loved, why aren't you doing anything? Because God is saying it's a two-way street. I'm going to show faithfulness to you, and you, out of respect, out of fear for honor of me, are going to pay me my due, which is basically fear, respect, honor, and that's why I've got the temple set up, so at the temple we can process this. I can show you truth and light and grace, and you can show me that you appreciate it, that you honor it, that you're trying to stay with me, and we've got this relationship. The problem he's going to say is right here. I've loved you, and we're not, at, we're not to that point of the story yet, but uh, where is it coming back? So when they say, how have we loved you? God says, well, I've loved you this way. Why aren't you loving me? They say, well, we don't even believe it. He says, well, that's why this keeps breaking down, because you're not keeping your end of it. You're actually putting yourself back under the curse of the law. So that's the two things we see, point five. There's the word love, point six. Israel responds by saying, in what way have you loved us? Really, what kind of evidence do you have? Israel is beaten down from captivity. God responds by going right to the contemporary evidence. This is great right here, point seven on page six. God responds by going right to the contemporary evidence. Now, again, we've already established the fact that he's already provided some evidence that he's giving them a fresh revelation. He's called them Israel. Uh, He's, he's talking with them, so it's already. But now, here comes his boots on the ground, if they can't pick up on that. Uh, point seven, God's response by going right to the contemporary evidence that Israel can see and evaluate. The promises were ancient. God's faithfulness is recorded in Scripture. The ancient Scripture said, I'd bring you back, you're back. B, but God is going to show them how the evidence of the Abrahamic covenant and how they have had a chance to experience it in their own lives. And he's going to ask Israel to consider Jacob's brother Esau. Consider Esau. And that's where this is going. If you want to look at point eight very quickly, I, 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 this could take more time than we need to start flipping around through Genesis. But very quickly, you know the story, but the key... Chapter 15, verses 22 through 34, God chose Jacob to be the heir after Abraham and Isaac instead of Jacob. So as you know, you've got Abraham. Abraham has a son. Even Isaac was special. You already had Ishmael, but God has already chosen someone. Isaac is going to have twins. He's going to have Esau, and he's going to have Jacob. Now, one of them is going to become the chosen going to receive the covenant now why can't they both have two tribes of isaac you know abraham isaac and the two tribes you could have done that he is going to reject esau and he's going to choose jacob and so that this covenant is going to come this way that he promised abraham tremendous it included land it included eternity it included reaching the nations it comes to isaac and then to jacob and then from jacob it's going to go to the 12 tribes that are going to become a nation, a nation that has a covenant with God, the only nation that has a covenant with God. Esau spins off this way and doesn't get a covenant. One, God rejects him, but in life, right here, 
if you look at point C, 8C, Genesis 25, 31 through 32, Esau got hungry. You know the whole story. got hungry. He, he technically still has the birthright. He technically still has everything. There's just this promise hanging over this whole situation. Jacob's the one. Esau, no. Now time is happening, and as time goes on, Esau gets hungry, wants some stew, and right here, Esau sold his birthright, saying, of what use is a birthright to me? Thus, it says, Esau despised his birthright. So before this was actually in place, Esau said, why do I need, why would I need this? I'm not even interested in that. What I want is that soup. And Jacob said, wanting this, says, swear. Promise you're going to do it. You can have it. Here's the soup. How much soup do you want? And that's how it transpired. And Jacob now has been chosen, but Jacob also showed a desire that this is very valuable. Esau, who's been rejected, but God's just watching, just watching it play out. Why have you rejected him? Well, just watch. Just watch. What good is it to me? Jacob, you want it? What it how, just a bowl of soup? I'll give you two bowls of soup. Okay. Now that, that leads up to that. Uh, Genesis uh, 25, Jacob wanting it, says, Swear to me now that Jacob gave Esau the bread and lentil stew, and the rest is history. Esau does become a family. Now, Esau's not cursed from the beginning. It's Genesis is a 36. Genesis 36. Jake Esau is going to himself have five sons. They're going to become a great, great nation. If you flip over right here, I got some maps for you. Uh, that top map very quickly shows you the territory. He was given a land, territory, just like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were given territory. They had to go to Egypt before they came back and got it, but their territory was given to them ahead of time. These that, in that gray spot in that first map is Edom's territory. If you look at that territory, what's nice about that territory, uh, here's the Dead Sea, here's the Mediterranean Sea, here's Edom's territory right there very quickly. You've got the King's Highway running this way right down to the Gulf of Aquaba, the Red Sea. This was highly traveled. I mean, we go through stories. Uh, it went through Sodom and Gomorrah. It went, the kings traveled on it. When they came to invade, they came on it. This led up, okay, more. This is very important. Again, it goes out south to the Red Sea, all the way down those Arab countries and uh, the Arabian countries and Egypt. This goes north and goes into the west, or the west and the east. Nabataeans are over in this area. They're going to be trading this way, so there's a trade route running this way. And then you're going to have, besides that, you've got access to... Uh, some other trade routes we look at. So there's a lot of trade routes taking place there, a good place to be. Uh, the next map right there, bottom of page 7, is what takes place in 586. That is Nebuchadnezzar. It's got the dates on it for you and everything. That's Nebuchadnezzar invading Jerusalem, all right? And not, he's, not invading, he's not invading Edom. He's invading Jerusalem. But as they're getting pounded, Edom's like, ho, ho, ho. And they start taking this boundary right here and moving up. You can see them coming up here. And some of the, the, the Jews, of course, are fleeing. Ah, we're all going to die. Ah, we're all going to die. And they're ca ca capturing them, selling them to the Babylonians. Whatever. That's what the whole book of Obadiah is like. You losers. You losers. Now, when Moses came out of Egypt, he had to respect this territory. He had to go around it. Edom wouldn't let him go through it. God says, don't. I gave them that. 
They're known as being wise. They're known as being productive. They had money. They had strength. They lived in the hills. But they are full of pride, which is natural for a, a normal man. But God, made, God is protecting them from Moses. He didn't say, wipe out the Edomites. Go around the Edomites. And Moses had to because God says, if you attack them, I'm not going to fight for you. They'll crush you. So Moses had to go around Edom at that time. So Edom now is paying them back by invading them. That's uh, page 7. Turn the page. This is what we just got out of the book of Nehemiah, the next page 8. And you can see while the Babylonian captivity was going on and Judah had been uh, driven out or taken out, Obadiah's words begin to take place. The Nabataeans began to rise up in power because there's also an eastern trade route running this way that comes up into the Mediterranean Sea, hits the coastal plain right here, goes down into Egypt. Nabataeans just keep pushing, pushing, and they want this territory. Why do they want that territory? You've got the trade route to the north. You've got the trade route to the Red Sea. They still have access to the coastal plain, Egypt. It's like they're getting ching, ching, ching. They're getting rich, and Edom's in the way. So they, because they're, they violated, and they've got the book of Obadiah prophecy and Jeremiah's hang, prophecy hanging over them, it's like you're going to become a wasteland. They've got to creep up here and start living in southern Judah in what is called, you can see it right there, Edomia. And their name changes from Edom to Edomian. It's another pronunciation for it. And that's where you see on the bottom of page 8, as we are reading this book right now, the Edomites are living there in Edomia. They are, as we're reading this book, they've lost their land to the Nabataeans who are prospering tremendously, enjoying the great land of Edom. Edom is living in southern Judah, oppressed by the Arabs coming up this way. They've got the same trouble with the, the west coast. And now Judah's back. They're saying, well, let's do the same thing Judah's doing. And God is saying... There's not a chance, not a chance. What's going to happen to them? They're eventually going to just melt back into the Nabataeans, become Arabs, or they're going, to be, they're going to be subjected by Judas Maccabeus, who defeats them and makes them part of the Judean kingdom. And eventually, that's where Herod comes from. Herod is an Edomite, an Edomian. Okay, and page nine. That's just the information I just read to you. Uh, you can see points, that point five is what God told Moses, go around. Point six is Edom. As known for their wisdom, that's Jeremiah's curse on them, Obadiah's curse on them. God's saying, no more are people going to say, oh, let's go to Edom. They've got wisdom because I'm going to bury you. And then it tells you all the details. Chapter 1, verse 4. If Edom says, and this is what God says now, if Edom says, now what God is comparing, Jacob is saying right here, Jacob or Israel is saying, how have you loved this? And God simply says, okay, you want to see something? Look at Edom. Edom is the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. You are Israel. Do you want to see a difference? These guys are zero. And anything they try to do, it's going to be, I'm fighting against them. You, I'm carrying you back. I'm, I'm helping you build the temple. I'm sending you Ezra. I'm sending you Nehemiah. Cyrus, the Persian king, destroys the Babylonian Empire. and says, I think Israel should go back to the land. Where do you think that idea came from? It's like, he's such a great guy. He said, I'm controlling history to get you back here in this land so we can continue on the progress of the plan of salvation. And, and the whole, it's going to end, verse, verse 5, the whole world, the whole world is going to see what we're doing. I don't know. This is just, just awful hard. I just wish you'd show us a little, you know, give us a break. And so chapter 1, verse 4. If Edom says, here's the comparison, 
we are shattered, but we will rebuild this ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear it down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. And Israel is a people that God favors forever. So there's your comparison. This is you, and this is Edom, and you're going to continue, your eyes in the days of Malachi are going to continue to see them decline until pretty soon there's nothing left of them. Uh, and that's what we got right here. You got all the, the details there on page 10. Page 11, here's the last, last verse of the night, verse, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, your own eyes shall see this. And this is his evidence. You will see this. He doesn't, he's, he's going to use, you know, the Old Testament prophecies. He's going to use examples. Uh, but he's saying right here, along with a fresh word from God in the book of, of, of Malachi, a direct revelation of God, you're going to see this prophecy, this history take place. And you'll see that this is nothing but dust and you're getting stronger and stronger. I'm rebuilding you. And he says, your own eyes will see this. In fact, you will say, the day is coming. And again, this is part of the book. They, they may not see it all. And again, we know they didn't become the greatest. They, they just came back. They've got their feet back on the ground. It wasn't the kingdom of God that maybe Zechariah or Haggai maybe thought was going to take place. Just like the disciples thought, when Jesus was resurrected, the kingdom of God was going to come. Or, you know, we thought in the 70s, the kingdom of God is going to come. I mean, it's like, oh, it's like they were thinking something possibly bigger that maybe got them distracted. But he is saying, we're going to do this, but you're, you're going to see this take place in history. You're going to see this take place in history. And that is an indication of what eventually is going to take place sometime in the future now this becomes mystery some of these things are they're historical evidence we've got maps we've got charts we've got literature but this is just prophecy sometime in the future what you see this glory taking place in israel and you'll say about israel that they should be saying now great is the lord in israel there's his temple here's his priesthood here's his law here's his people here's everybody obeying the law we're prospering we're under the blessing of the law this is good eventually what's going to take place is what you say is great, the great is the Lord. You're going to add to that great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. If you're, he's, he's saying, I'm not a local God. I'm a God, I am controlling history. Just like I'm going to crush Edom, I'm eventually going to take my name, and he's going to say it several times throughout this book, across the, across the globe, and the whole world will say with Israel, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. If nothing else, it's like, guys, if you're not saying great is the Lord here in Israel, understand my plan is I'm so great here that the whole world is going to be saying what you should be saying today. I mean, it's like, I'm having a real hard time here with you guys because you're the ones that are going to cause the whole world to say great is, is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. And you're saying, I don't know if he's so great. And they really are. It's like, great i mean abrahamic covenant i mean esau covenant i don't know i just wish we get a break it's like what what don't you see here and the last few oh that's right here i did a little bit of work there with that word and we don't have time to get into this but that word up on that's translated up on in your box in the square it's two words it's it's the, it's two words in hebrew put together and it's not captured in the translation it's 
M, meh, L. L means up on, and meh means from. It's together, and you see, you see I, I, I broke apart the letters there because I'm cool like that because I'm learning Hebrew. Uh, but from is the meh, and L is, or is, is up on, and it means from up on. And you see, up on is in the square, but you don't pick up the beyond until you get down there where they put it in the, the bottom, beyond the borders. And so, great is the Lord, where it would be from Israel, and then up on the borders, meaning from, so it's, he, they're up on the borders of Israel, but from up on the borders of Israel, the idea is what's, once the borders of Israel are bursting with the glory of God, it's going to be from there throughout the whole world. So that, that little word kind of picks that up. Now, the three things, bottom of page 11, the things that we have seen, the point of this first debate is the Lord has given Israel three external proofs of the covenant faithfulness that he has shown to them. Three proofs are mentioned in these simple five verses. The first one is divine revelation. He is speaking to them through a prophet. It's like a live video feed of the Lord speaking. It's like he's here. He's talking to you now through a prophet. He's not talking to Edom. He's turned his back on Edom. And, of course, this next is the evidence of Edom. And Edom is very impressive, the evidence, when you compare Edom with Israel or Jacob. Edom is just struggling to survive as they fade into history. Israel is, well, point C, the rebuilt temple. While Edom is fading away, Israel and this is already done. There's no doubt about it. There's some things you say, well, it was before Nehemiah, after Nehemiah, that's a question. But the temple is clearly done. They're even talking about it in the book. So there's a divine revelation being given to them. Edom is used as evidence. Just look across the board. Look at those guys struggle. And it's just going to get worse for them. In fact, they're not going to be a people. I'm not doing anything for them. But you, you're, look at you. There's, there's your temple. You have a, you've rebuilt the temple, Nehemiah, or Nebuchadnezzar tore down, and that goes along with these other points right here. They've had the 12 tribes return. All 12 tribes, Israel is in the land. Uh, they've returned and occupied their family homes, their ancestral homes. They have went back to, we read it in Ezra and Nehemiah, they went back to their homes. They, found, they, had, they had paperwork. Uh, the restoration of self-government, they are governing themselves. Now again, the Persians are ruling the empire, but the Persians have given them Jewish leadership. They've sent Ezra back, the priest. They sent Nehemiah back, their governor. They have got their own government, making their own decisions. Uh, the priesthood of Aaron is intact. It's not like, well, we've got to figure out. No, we've got priests with paperwork. They've got not just their, their social security number and their property distributions. They've got their genealogies. And after Ezra, the reestablishment of the teaching of the law, they've got teaching going on. They've got the law being taught. That's reestablishing their entire culture. And after Nehemiah has come, if he's come already, I would say, I'd like to say Ezra's been there. Nehemiah's work is done. They've got the walls are built. The gates are done. They're repopulating the city of Jerusalem. I mean, this is nothing compared to on the other side of the border, not even in their own land, some Edomians living, Edomites struggling. These guys are functioning in the Persian Empire with their own priesthood, their own temple, their own property. Their problem is what? 
we don't see God doing anything. It's like, how have, you, how have you done anything for us? We would like to see God do something for us. It's like, their problem is they have no commitment. They're not even pursuing it. They're running from what God is doing. And Ezra, or, uh, Malachi is making that point to them. Okay, I'll pray and we're done. We'll go to the next debate uh, next week. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for this opportunity. We do ask that we would not have the attitude of questioning what you're doing or where is God or what the plan is, if it's ever going to work but have the confidence that you are working even when we don't see or don't understand, that we know that your spirit is real, our salvation is real, and that God the Father, the creator of the beginning and the end of time is functioning right now. And we just want to walk in faith and do the things you've called us to in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.